Welcome to the Automation World Get Your Questions Answered podcast, where we connect with industry experts to get the answers you need about industrial automation technologies. The questions posed in this podcast series all come from automation technology users like yourself across the process and discrete manufacturing industries. I'm David Greenfield, Director of Content for Automation World, and the question we'll be answering in this episode is, how much cybersecurity protection do I really need? Now, to answer this question, I'm joined today by Brandon Boley, a systems analyst with Interstates Control Systems, a system integration firm focused on delivering electrical and control systems engineering services. So, Brandon, industrial cybersecurity has really come to the forefront again amid all the increased work from home and heightened interest in remote access to equipment as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. So, Given these new circumstances, have you seen anything change on the industrial cybersecurity front in, in terms of what industrial companies need to do in response? Yeah, so once COVID-19 hit and organizations decided that they were going to start sending the, their employees to work from from home, uh, they've actually had to move forward and start implementing this remote access policy and, and work from home. A lot of organizations have decided or been in the talks of doing something like this, but this has actually forced the hand to do it. Uh, One thing that really has come to the forefront with all of this as well is the same thing is happening with your third parties or your vendors out there. So they still need to help support any of your manufacturing equipment, but they still need to be able to access the systems. So what we're seeing is how are we allowing those vendors or those third parties into our organization in a secure manner? Uh, So there's quite a few different ways that we can go through and talk about doing uh, remote access for those uh, individuals. I guess before we move on with that, can you give us a, a, a very common example of that that I guess you're doing from the system integration side? Yeah, so typically we see two very different or two common ways of doing it. One would be using a VPN. So a lot of organizations already have some sort of a VPN to get through a firewall that's typically set up uh, as a barrier between the control system environment and the corporate environment. So if you can give your vendors access to that VPN, that's one way of doing it. Another way that we're seeing people do this as well is using a jump server. So basically it's a known good system that sits in the DMZ that they can log into and then do all of their work from that area. And you mentioned a DMZ and, you know, we write, we cover cybersecurity quite often. So we're aware of that, but for the, for our audience's sake, can you explain a DMZ in case some of our listeners uh, aren't aware of that term? Yeah. So DMZ is the demilitarized zone. Basically what this is, it's an area that sits generally in between uh, a trusted network, such as your manufacturing environment, and what would be considered an untrusted. So in the manufacturing area, your corporate environment is considered an untrusted zone. So basically, this DMZ sits as a network between those two areas, and we trust the, the interface and the communication that goes 
out into and out of the DMZ. So if you need to get into the controls environment, you can access that DMZ from outside of the D or outside of the corporate environment or in uh, your own work from home network. And then you can then access any of your resources inside of the controls network. Okay. Thanks for clarifying that, Brandon. You know, one last question before we move on, you had mentioned some of the ways that uh, of, of uh, remote accessing a system from the system integrators point of view, would those same methods be used for say an example, an OEM connecting to machinery at a customer site, or would they use different methods? Yeah, potentially they could use the same method. It really depends on what you as an organization uh, want to take for your remote access approach. So there's those different ways, and there's really no right or wrong way, as long as you kind of create a consistent message is, is what works the best. So let's kind of start off, I guess, a little bit at the basics uh, before getting into more detail around cybersecurity. What would you consider the basic cybersecurity must-haves that any industrial company should have in place at a minimum today? Yeah, at a minimum, the first thing that you're going to want to do is create some sort of policy really to help define what needs to be happening as far as cybersecurity. A lot of times in cybersecurity, we see people take those steps based on what the big thing that's happening in the news right now. Whereas if you create this policy, it creates your direction for how the whole organization needs to flow. Um, but then beyond that, getting into actual technical controls Doing your, your very common things like putting in a firewall to separate your manufacturing area from your, your business area or doing some sort of antivirus, doing your patching on your systems, doing backups on your system is, is a very important one as well. Uh, doing those really basic cybersecurity practices is really the most important thing uh, that you need to do today. And one question for you, we'll, we'll get into this a little bit later about uh, responsibilities between IT departments and operations technology OT departments. But when it comes to some of these basics that you were just mentioning there, is that something that would fall more into the IT side of things, the OT side of things, or is it across the way you see them being implemented? It really should be a good cross and having that good relationship between the two. Uh, again, you said we're going to talk a little bit more more about this later on. But once you have that good relationship, you can do pretty much anything uh, that the IT is doing, or you can do a lot of things that the IT is doing, but with some modifications with the consideration of the uh, controls environment. Generally in organizations, we see a very well thought out and built out security uh, environment. So if you can take things that are already built and mold them into your controls environment, that's really going to save you a lot of time and effort and money. Basic protective measures that uh, you mentioned here in our discussion, you know, are of course basic and should be seen as a starting point, of course. But once a company has these basic measures in place, what are some of the next steps that they should be looking to take to continually ensure that their cyber defenses remain strong? Yeah, so that question's a little bit tough to answer in, in specifics because every organization is going to be different where they're at. But what you can do is look at what your response times are for detecting uh, an incident, responding to an incident, and then recovering 
from an incident and look at what those time frames are. And then based on if you're not happy with any of those times, work on reducing some of those times. So if you need to reduce your time to detect, you might implement an intrusion detection system or different anti-malware software those sorts of things. If you need to work on your response, maybe you need to work on finding a vendor that can help you or developing out your incident response plan. Um, if you need time or need to work on reducing your time to recover, look at your backups. Are you in a virtual environment? Those are all things that are going to help reduce those timeframes. Um, so again, that that's really the best thing that you can do as the next steps is what can you do to reduce the time to detect respond and recover from an incident. And just one follow-on question with that, with you mentioned that of course, you know, for obvious reasons, as you said, you know, it will vary depending on the type of company and what they have in place and what their uh, risk, you know, levels are based on, I guess, prominence of company or what they're actually producing there. Are there anything specifically to certain verticals uh, that end users should be aware of? Like, are there certain types of cybersecurity uh, preventative measures that should be taken in continuous process versus discrete? Is there anything like that or is it pretty much the same across the board? Yeah, it's going to be pretty much same across the board. The only difference is if if you need to be able to detect those things in real time uh, to be able to respond quicker, your cost to implement that next cyber control might be a little bit more expensive. So generally, as you reduce that time to, I would say, a little bit closer to real time, you're going to increase the cost because there is that added benefit and usually there's more resources in, involved in that. So yeah, it really, again, depends on on what your, your need is. Yeah, understood. So like with you know any manufacturing safety initiative, for example, risk assessments are often cited as a key factor in deploying effective cybersecurity measures as well. Can you explain how to best conduct risk assessments for cybersecurity purposes and how to follow up on the findings of such an assessment? Yeah. So when you do your cybersecurity assessment, you really want to start out from a very high level. Uh, you don't want to get into the weeds too early because you can spend a lot of time and effort on areas of a risk assessment that once you get down into it, they really don't matter as much in certain areas. Again, that you're, that's all going to come out of the risk assessment. So if you can do a really high level assessment of understanding what you have in your organization, what really is the most important, and then really drill down from there as to what the threats are to those systems, you can start to identify the different vulnerabilities. The other thing with a risk assessment and actually getting through it is a lot of companies like to take the risk assessment and break it down into small pieces, uh, maybe into specific areas. And really, we find that that doesn't work quite as well because you get done with a certain area and then people just lack the um, drive to go ahead and finish all the other pieces. So you want to make sure that you look at the project as a whole organization and not as smaller pieces. You know, and you, you mentioned an important point there about the way companies approach cybersecurity and what can happen as a result of that. And a lot of that is 
around the people factor, not just the technology factors around that. Uh, can you speak a bit to how you've seen that? As I know you spoke about policy implementation earlier on in our discussion. Can you speak about ways to uh, make sure you have a buy-in among employees and that the cybersecurity efforts are maintained and kept watchful by uh, the workers in the plant? Yeah, and, and really going to that part, I, I skipped over a, a really critical aspect when starting the risk assessment, and, and that's really getting the buy-in from management. So management's going to be the one footing the bill for all of the time and resources that are going to be used during the risk assessment. So getting that management buy-in from the risk assessment piece is going to help, but then it's also going to help when you push the buy-in down the line. So if you get good manage, managerial buy-in, your employees are going to start buying into it as well. The other thing is once you start identifying areas of risk that you want to start addressing, when you start looking at controls to fix some of those risks, um, basically what you need to do is get buy-in from those individuals as well so that you're not just surprising somebody out on a line or an owner of a system saying, we're going to start doing this now to make it more secure, but you get their buy-in. Uh, that's going to help drive some of that uh, acceptance of the risk assessment. But then also, once you kind of get through everything, you start implementing your controls, you want to do some sort of organization-wide cybersecurity training. Train all of your employees about what you're adding to the organization, why you're going about adding it, and what do they have to do specifically uh, as it pertains to this new control. It might not be anything because they work in a different area, or if it's something user account related, they might have to know that they have to change their email passwords, or they might not be able to access their email on the, the workstations out on the line anyway. Whatever those may be, but you need to make sure that you're educating and letting all of your employees know what you're doing based on the outcome of a risk assessment. Okay. Thanks for explaining that, Brandon. Now, kind of continuing on this, uh, the people theme side of uh, cybersecurity, you know, uh, and we talked a little bit about this earlier, a big factor in industrial cybersecurity that, you know, we've all heard a lot about over the past few years is the relationship between IT and the operations technology or OT groups. And IT tends to more often than not take the lead with enterprise security measures for obvious reasons. But how should the two groups work together to ensure optimal outcomes for the OT side of the business? Yeah, so the two groups should definitely work together as frequent as possible when it comes to cybersecurity efforts. So like I mentioned earlier, IT has a lot of things already built out. So it's good to try and not reinvent the wheel, but take some of the things that they're already doing and figuring out how you can modify them, whether it be different types of group policies that are applied to the systems, and then maybe you got to tweak some of them uh, to fit into the organ or to the operational technology environment, or it could just be you know having that communication with that group as well. So if you can start that communication between the IT and the OT technology teams, uh, it's going to be much easier to build that relationship now and 
what I would call a downtime when you're not in the middle of a, a cyber incident than when everybody is trying to figure out what's going on, what happened, how to fix things. Those are type of incidents where emotion really takes over and you don't necessarily see eye to eye unless you have that relationship already built out. So we've been talking today, you know, about best practices for assessing cybersecurity risks and implementing effective safeguards. But there remains a lot of cybersecurity bad practices in effect out there. And since you've worked with a variety of manufacturers, what are some of the biggest mistakes you've seen companies still making around cybersecurity, either in ill-advised steps they're taking or steps they've overlooked that people should be aware of so that they don't repeat those same mistakes? Yeah, there's so many that, uh, that are still happening out there. So that's, I mean, we could have a whole hour discussion about that. Uh, but some of the big ones that we still really commonly see are, um, you know, lack of, of backups. You know, that's, that's a big one that I see very often, um, especially when we see on the news all these um, ransomware attacks that are happening out in the wild today. If you get attacked by ransomware and you have good backups and good backup processes, you can a lot of times just go back to those backups and then restore. If you can figure out what you did wrong, you can fix that that hole or that issue before you get reinfected again. That's one potential as well. Uh, the other thing along the same lines is change management processes. Again, it kind of falls in the same line, and a lot of this is related, but change management processes. If you have good change management, you can understand what changes are being made. You could potentially stop changes before they're being made if you have the right approval process um, and really just have a good accountability for what's happening within the organization. One last question that I have, because cybersecurity is such a big topic that ranges across people, processes, technology. Is there anything that we've discussed today, or I should say haven't discussed today, that you wanted to add to this, something that maybe we haven't covered that our listeners should be aware of? So another best practice that we see not necessarily happening very often in the manufacturing environment is organizations allotting enough time and resources to the to cybersecurity. A lot of times we see people who are in charge of cybersecurity in the manufacturing and controls environment. That's their you know third, fourth, fifth task on the list. So a lot of times we see that being pushed off to the side. So making sure that you allot enough time and resources uh, to cybersecurity, that's going to be a big effort as well. Well, thank you for joining me for this podcast, Brandon. And thanks, of course, to all of our listeners. And please keep watching this space for more installments of Automation World Get Your Questions Answered. And remember to visit our website at www.automationworld.com to stay on top of the latest industrial automation technology insights, trends, and news.